fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. Once again, I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, great to be here. I don't know why, but I keep expecting you to have a British accent. It's just like, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> um, I love the hat. I feel, you know... I feel some competition for the first time ever, Dan. Um, yep. <laughs> it's not quite as good as mine, but the feather, I, I'm jealous. I'm jealous, Dan. And you know me, I'm usually just happy-go-lucky, not jealous. But I'm loving it, loving the hat, loving the scarf. Well, thank you, Dan. And this is by no, this is more to compliment you. This is not uh, okay. imitation. I like that. Uh, imitation is best, for, most sincere form of flattery. You know, we, we should have fit that in our last episode, which is our quotes episode, apparently. But I snuck it in here, uh, and I, I, I do happen to, to love the, the the feather myself. Uh, but speaking of a guy who has a gigantic collection of rare feathers, that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where what camp did you go to to learn how to pluck feathers like the one I'm wearing in my hat? You know, unfortunately, I'm I'm not in any camp today this week, Dan, and I didn't learn much about feathers. I'm in this truly inscrutable place. Uh, I'm in like kind of a scrubland there, but there appears to be a square of iron just floating in midair. Um, it's some bizarre stuff. Uh, I'm, I mean, Denon, I, I think it might even be aliens. Uh, what do you think? Well, you know, clearly when you can't explain something, it's aliens. It's that yeah. simple. Um, it used to be God. You know, we had the God of the gaps. Now we have the aliens of the gaps, uh, um, which, Dan, I, I want that on a T-shirt or mug. Aliens of the gaps. I'm, I'm coining the phrase trademarking and copywriting right now. Uh, I love it. That's amazing. I, I mean, and you talk about aliens of the gaps. To most of our our, our normal viewers, I may look like an alien myself. Uh, but again, this I'm trying out a couple of different looks here. We had one of our one of our uh, our fans said that I don't quite have a strong enough gimmick, and so I've been trying out a few things. So this is my, you know, we're talking about the the TV show 1899, and I feel like I kind of fit that mold a little bit here. I know you guys think I look like Doctor Who, which there's an argument to be made. Uh, I refuse to do a terrible British. Jackson. I respect the people of the UK too much to insult them like that. But yeah, I, I like the look. We're going to try it out and see what people like. Um, and, you know, last week I mentioned Cutting Edge of Technology. We uh, watched a, a movie that was 10 years old. No big deal. Uh, we do that sometimes. But this week, we're on the opposite end of that spectrum, guys. We did a show that was so new, the second it came out, it's already canceled by the time we're doing this. Uh, but this is a brand new show, 1899. We were behind the curve. We're kind of ahead of the curve here, but also we ended up being behind the curve here. I don't know where we ended up, uh, but this is by the same people who did Dark, if you want to check out our, our Dark episode. And I, I want to ask you guys this question at, at the mm -hmm. beginning here. I feel like I understood 80% of Dark, I understood this show about as much as I understood Dark, but that doesn't mean I didn't love it because it was a lot of fun. What do you think, Denon? Well, it all depends what season two is like, Dan. So <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing. It's not. You've already seen it. It's nothing. It's no. canceled. I, I mean, yeah. that that's that's kind of the trick for me. Like this one, I actually felt I understood better than Dark, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. 
But the, the, the cool thing was there were so many ways they could have gone. We're not going to spoil the ending yet, but mm-hmm. I just will say at this stage in our episode, I do think, Dan, this is a real test of the power of FGGBT.com, mm-hmm. um, which is a website people could check out to see us. Yep. And they probably know that if they're watching yep. this episode. But yep. that aside, yep. this episode alone, Dan, mm-hmm. could cause season two to be made. I just put that out there to the universe. Oh, I'd love that. I would love that. That's amazing. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make that happen. I think that that's going to be our goal here. What about you, Ben? I, you, you saw both, uh, and I know you're a fan of this type of stuff. Where were you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Mentally, psychologically, physically, yeah, emotionally. You know, give me what you have. You know, mentally at first I was like, why is the acting so bad? And then I remembered, oh, it's it's a dub. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a funny story about that, but go on. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think... I, I liked it. I think I liked Dark better because I thought the premise of Dark was a bit more fun. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I, it was definitely enjoyable. I liked the kind of old-timey steamship vibe of the mm-hmm. of the show. And I thought the characters overall were compelling. I, I liked the interpersonal conflicts that were going on on the ship. I thought they did a good mm-hmm. job uh, with fleshing out the different characters and how they would be in that situation. Definitely. I like the weird stuff in, in, in this show, for sure. Uh, there, there, and there's a lot of it. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because when I looked at 1899, I, I thought that this, when I was watching it, I thought everyone spoke English. And so <laughs> for those listening, if you're going to watch the show, you can actually do a dub where you can hear, there's five languages represented. That's going to be in my air yep. editions and omission section, but I got to put it here. There's five languages in this show, and you can watch it with subtitles. And I would recommend watching the show in the original languages that you're supposed to and read the subtitles rather than listen to the dub. Because especially for me, uh, I can see things when the sound is just a little bit off and it totally uh, drove me nuts. And I thought I was going crazy. Turns out that's not the case at all. Well, it may be the case. I don't know. But that wasn't <laughs> the evidence that, that that was the case. Uh, but yeah, let's talk I about got this. a funny thing on that. I got to just quickly yep. add before you go forward. Yep. So comparing Dark to this, so dark, somehow I managed to watch a version that was both dubbed and subtitled. I think I mentioned this in the Aries <laughs> editions. And the two people translated it differently. So yeah. I got one set of English words with a different set of English subtitles. That was fun. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah, that yeah. was cool. And what you saw was the English <laughs> language is very flexible. Because they meant the same thing. Like, as a native speaker, you're like, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. different views, right? Yeah. Um, in this case, I watched some of it on my computer and some on my TV. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was cool. To your point, on the computer, they were all speaking English. On my yeah. TV, I was getting the languages with the subtitles. And I agree. That yeah. was like the cool way to watch it. Um, yeah. I will say, you know, you guys are mentioning, you know, bad acting, um, dubbing effects. I started on one and a half times of my computer at one and a half speed, everything just looks weird and you don't notice mm-hmm. any dubbing mistakes. So <laughs> yeah. if, if dubbing mistakes bother you, just watch it at high speed. <laughs> That's the move. I will tell you, I listen to podcasts at 1.5 or 2 speed and I edit everything at 1.52 and even 3 speed. So like when I get into that mode, the whole world is like, uh, I'm going to date myself here, but the Micro Machines commercial uh, from the 80s. If you did, if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch it on YouTube. I'll throw it out, I'll throw a link up. I won't make you do the hard work. I'll put a link up so you guys can see what I'm talking so guys see what I'm talking about. Uh, so let's get let's get right into this. You know, 1899 is about being on a steamship. We did a whole episode on steampunk, which I'm I'm going to link to, but this in some ways, it's, it's different. There's, there's advanced tech, there's weird technology, advanced technology tied into the ship. 
Uh, and before we get into that, I'm going to mention, we are going to do something that I've never done before, guys. And you know I hate doing it, so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell our listeners in advance, we're going to have to spoil the show to finish our episode. But I will give you a clear spoiler alert. So up until that point, we're just going to talk about a little things on the fringe. But we're going to have to spoil uh, some stuff at the end to really make this episode work. I apologize. It's an unfortunate, ca- your, your experience might be an unfortunate casualty of the excellence of this show. Uh, but let's dive right in. You know, we got lots of weird technologies. We've got intelligent beetles that unlock doors, archaic computers that control ships, uh, weird um, uh, digital interfaces, a slide key that can kind of control everything. Weird things going on here. Uh, you know, Ben, as our engineer, mm-hmm. what did you think about this stuff right off the bat before we get into details? Well, what. Watching it at first, you know, honestly, I didn't even pick up on the fact that the bugs were unlocking doors. I just thought they were creepy things and maybe they were like spreading the craziness or something. Uh, (laughs) I wasn't really quite sure what they were for. Uh, But what I really liked was like the slide puzzle remote control thing that we Mm -hmm. see later on. I thought that was a really fun way to to have have a, you know, you could imagine that you can... You know, with five th- five keys that you can move in all sorts of different ways, like that's a way you could encode an enormous amount of different commands or controls or whatever. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was a really clever way to have a, a weird object, but an object that could, in fact, have that much different things it could do. That's interesting. I'm curious what you think, Denon, because I was wondering how effective that would be. And maybe because I'm so used to pu- push pads where you're punching in numbers or letters uh, to give exactly what you want. That sliding key seemed difficult because you have to remember combinations, but also not as complex. But is is Ben right? Is this a, a better, more complex way to put in these types of codes? Oh, I think Ben is totally right. I love that. Mm. Um, statement because the number of permutations, I mean, think uh, like the 3D version is the Rubik's Cube and anyone who talks about the Rubik's Cubes talks about the number of permutations you have, right? Mm -hmm. So you're well beyond ones and zeros in digital. You've just got a lot of settings um, based on the organizations. I absolutely love that. It was my favorite part um, Mm -hmm. because to be honest, slide puzzles, I tried to look up the name and apparently they are just called slide puzzles. Um, But the things where you have a picture and you have to solve the picture and you mix it up and there's one square missing, I was a master of those as a child, Dan. It's a little known really? fact about me. Um, and that. so I would feel a huge advantage using these. Um, I do think the the thing that worried me about it was mm. there were no pictures on the buttons. And so for any given location of where the empty space is, right. I'm not really sure how you knew, like, is the location, because if it's only the location of the empty space, you lose a lot of information. Right. Um, so you you really I, I worried and wondered about that like that that seemed to hinder the usefulness of the device because I don't know that you really can know where the other pieces are. Mm. Um, now it could be that it's the order of operations that matter and it's mm-hmm. moving an empty piece from one place to another and then you gain back a lot of the encoding and complexity of it. So if it's if if it's the moves I'm okay. If it's the location of the keys I'm a little worried. I think so as well. I said. You know, with a slide puzzle, you're trying to put things in the right order. And if you need that specific, the keys to be in that specific place, it might be a little tricky. But I, I don't know. I don't know all the permutation. I think that's, that's, that's something to think about. But w- the other thing I want to think about here is that's the interface that is used to kind of control some of this weird digital technology. But I want to pose a question to you. 
You know, we've talked about computers, we've talked about advanced AI, we've talked about steampunk, we've talked all around, you know, we've got a lot of the tools that we need to answer this question. But could you, if you were a time traveler, and I know there's not really time travel in this show per se, but let's say you were a time traveler, could you bring back some of our advanced electronics, something modern from, you know, 2023, could you take that back and then retrofit that ship to be able to control the steam or anything like that. Kind of like in Back to the Future 3 where they use, you know, 1889 technology to make a time machine. Uh, is that type of stuff, is it possible to not to make a time machine, but to retrofit <laughs> a steamship with that level of computers? I'm, I'm curious, you know, Ben, I'm going to go to you first as our engineer. Sure. Is it possible and compatible, I think might be the first question. I mean, it, it, it really just comes down to how much work do you want to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, okay. there, there's nothing inherently non-digital about i mean obviously a steam engine is not digital but there's nothing about it that is necessarily prohibiting digital control of it uh mm -hmm. you know digital control usually almost always just comes down to eventually a motor turning something or a solenoid pulling or pushing something mm -hmm. and sensors reading data like there's nothing about a steam engine where you couldn't put digital temperature sensors in to measure the pressures and the t temperatures in the boilers and having motors that can open the valves and close the valves. Uh, and then you have a computer that controls it all. It's, it's mm -hmm. just a matter of having all the pieces you need to make that work. I'd be okay. more concerned, Dan, about the, mm -hmm. the people understanding exactly what they need to do. Right. right. Like, okay. To, yeah. To, to, to Ben's point that there is, you know, you have to get the work is all in the fundamental changing of the interface, right? Like the the digital the digital buttons or whatever, or you know your little computer and the steam engine themselves are not fundamentally incompatible, incompatible as as Ben said. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you need the right system to connect them. So that's mm -hmm. the work. I'm totally agreeing with Ben on that piece. But mm -hmm. then you, you there's sort of I think a mental model of you know what's really safe nervousness what to do how are you going to make it work there's a there's a great line where the guy the captain's like well they put this thing in to do all this stuff and it's never worked right like so why mm -hmm. is it here um right now there's other reasons the thing was put there but right. i think easy easy right i know i know <laughs> i'm not saying why dan i'm not going yep. there but yep. but i think the human error is the bigger fear i would have not not the technical connecting of them. That's just where I am. Okay. Well, let me, let me say this. So forget the other people using it. You're going to bring it back uh, and you're going to use it. So let's throw that out for a second. But another cool question, quick question here. Having mm -hmm. your knowledge that you guys have, the combined knowledge of the brain trust, could we go back and then create the digital stuff or would we require advanced industrial technology even to make the digital stuff we need to put that into, into effect yeah uh, unfortunately you'd have to bring pretty much everything with you like you could get okay. wires and and maybe motors back then but anything digital with microchips or whatever uh there's there's no capability in the 18 you know 1890 the 1800s 1900s however you want to call that <laughs> sure it's right right, right around that time uh there's no way you could make a, a transistor back then like the materials didn't exist they hadn't they weren't mining the right stuff yet uh you you would just be out of luck uh at that point you know i get yeah. that dan you know yeah. i i i'm 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 supportive and sympathetic uh, as sure. the electrical engineer to ben's view um but but dan i feel i would have a partner you in this 
Um, mm-hmm. Yes, we cannot make a transistor. We cannot do it that way. Um, we might be able to sneak out a vacuum tube, though. Um, and so mm-hmm. we, we might be able to make a very big um, digital interface. Um, okay. Vacuum yeah. tubes are not small, but we could do that. We might even, because we are committed, we are members yeah. of the digital age, and we're yeah. also committed to the low-tech solution. Um, we could make like a mechanical peg and pulley digital <laughs> um, <laughs> device. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I feel like that is really the way that Doc would do it in Back yeah, of the Future. He would not recreate the computer, but he would make a really, really, really large physical, mechanical, you know, pulley and peg digital computer to hard boil an egg. So why right. not do it to drive a steamboat? And to, to that point, Ann, you know, when you when you do see the computer for on the ship in, in 1899, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's clearly not a silicon, you know, <laughs> truly digital. It's it's electromechanical. There's probably some vacuum tubes in there. There's a lot of glowing brass <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, clearly <laughs> it's not a modern, modern computer. It's some sort of 70s computer pre-widespread transistor use. Uh, but I like what you said. I mean, it comes down, to, you know, to what you were talking about earlier, Ben. How much work do you want to do? Clearly... Yeah. Denon and I want to put more work into this. I was willing to go mine the transistor metal for you. Um, but That's very but kind if, of you. <laughs> you got it. But this, you know, this goes back to our Hunger Games episode. Uh, you know, Denon, it might come, there might come a time where the two of us might have to take out Ben, and I think that's where the alliance would be. I mean, if you can't come through on this. Uh, but, but before we do that, you know, what you can do to stop us, Ben, is to pause time. Uh, and take us mm-hmm. out individually, and we see that in this movie. There's a lot of this TV show. There are lots of instances where, in a movie, someone will suddenly freeze everybody, mm-hmm. and then they'll walk around amongst all the people who are frozen in time. You see it in a lot of commercials as well. Uh, we've never talked about it before. There's one moment in this. It's not very pivotal to the TV series, but it's a question I have to ask because it came up. So, could you? First of all, can time actually be frozen and stopped? Or and can you then walk around people who are are stopped in time? This is a question I think that is, you know, our physics phenom has got to tackle first. So sadly, with our current knowledge, the basic answer is probably no, as much as I love it. But it doesn't mean we don't have enough physics knowledge, Dan, to think about consequences and possibilities. Right. That the challenge is even though time can be somewhat local, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not generally attached to an object. It's attached to space and time as coordinates. So mm-hmm. the problem would be the moving around. Like, I'm not so opposed to the, oh, locally we stop time in this area, but here time still works. Like, that would be easier to imagine. It's the mm-hmm. time for the person, and then they move to places where time is stopped for other people, right? It, it's who you okay. associate the time with. So what's much a much better way to think about it from my perspective is the physics of how fast or slow the people are going. Okay. So we think about it as time, but really you want to think about it in my mind of the speed of the person. And there you just got to go back to the classic Star Trek episode um, where I believe, I, you know, I, I should have looked it up. I forgot. I'm going by memory and I'm trusting mm-hmm. my memory. I yeah. think it's Kirk who gets sped up, Right. And it's great because they flip back and forth between his view where everyone's slow and their view where they just hear this annoying fly buzzing and they don't know what it is because <laughs> he's yeah. so fast and they can't understand yeah. him, yeah. right? So yeah. so that's 
what excites me a little bit about this is the physics of either moving fast or slow, which okay. it's fine to call that speeding up time and slowing down time. I would not, I would not argue against it, but it's really much more about how fast or slow you move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I, I like to think of X Men and Quicksilver when we see, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's, not, he doesn't sl- pause time. He's just going really fast, and we see it when his, in his intro when he comes upon the blowing, you know, the Xavier Academy blowing up. And he manages to save everybody going room to room and tossing them out of windows and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so I, I think there's a very interesting thing here where, you know, it is that perception. Like, can somebody perceive and move much faster than other people can? Well, I've definitely played sports with some some pretty old folks who I was going so fast and dribbled around them uh, that it looked like they were standing still. And so this <laughs> is on go. a very small level. Uh, but if we just expand that and you go even faster, things appear to be stopped, uh, but they aren't. But then that leaves us, you know, there's almost always a bullet in these scenarios that becomes frozen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in this, there's this, this is, there's no, you know, this is no exception. Uh, so the main character, Mora, pulls the bullet out of thin air that's stopped. Mm-hmm. And then I think it drops or whatever. Now, once time is speeding up or whatever, wouldn't that bullet then go, if she held it in her hand, wouldn't it blow through her hand? Doesn't it still have forward momentum? Well, this, Dan, goes to, yes, first of all, you're very good with your physics. The bullet is still moving. Um, You're moving super fast, right? Mm -hmm. So the thing is the bullet's moving um, a little bit at each time. So until the bullet, this is why I think of it more about you versus time, right? Okay. So if you're moving fast, as long as you're still moving fast enough, you're moving your hand fast enough that the bullet doesn't go through it, Mm -hmm. right? And, And so... The tricky thing is, um, and the moment that you hold the bullet and move it sideways, the bullet is now also going as fast as you in whatever direction you move it. Mm -hmm. Okay. As well as as slow as it originally was. This is a huge change in velocity. Mm -hmm. I would imagine Um, so, yeah. A huge acceleration. And the force required to do stuff is always proportional to the acceleration. So I think... If uh, like if we take the premise as real, the physics mm-hmm. error that's made here is is the force required to move that bullet is mm-hmm. so great that your skin could probably not handle it. And that's where you would rip through your hand. Well, I, I, that's interesting, Dan. But I would also argue that the person who is moving that fast is, you know, just to move that fast require, requires a ton of energy. And their skin must be very tough because the wind resistance uh, from moving that fast could like strip their skin off if, uh, you know, they weren't, if, if we were, if it weren't very strong. So I think grabbing a bullet should be fine if you're moving it near relativistic speeds already. Uh, Good, good question. Whether, you know, the bullet, because the bullet does have more mass than the air, but there is a lot of molecules, but you can see it's really a material science problem. So clearly what you want to do is make your hand out of foam. Because as we all right. know, foam <laughs> is the best and most resistant material. There you go. <laughs> Without question. I mean, I thought our last episode was super dark, but moving at incredible speeds, ripping off your skin. Ben, you might have you, you might have hit the mark for this or the, the, the yeah. watermark for this episode. There's pretty there's, brutal. There's some great uh, things about like, what if you could throw a baseball at, you know, a relativistic speed? Like what would happen? Would, would it just blow through everything? But the reality is it would like become a fireball 
because yeah. of their assistance and probably like a blow comet. up. Yeah. A comet. It'd be like a reverse meteor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Uh, well, so, <laughs> so that answers our question. So if this happened, lots of this, the the real physics is almost weirder than the weird physics. In, <laughs> yeah. In Going very fast is a, is a big problem, which we've discussed with the flash and Quicksilver mm -hmm. and all sorts of those types of characters. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's one, you could say moving really fast is kind of like the speed of light. You're kind of getting close to the speed of light, but there you, is something. She would have to have been for what we see. Yeah, absolutely. Without question. <laughs> and, you know, we see uh, something else that moves at the speed of light and that's telegraph signals. Uh, so one of the things I want to mention, and this is low tech stuff, you know, it's all been thought before, but Morse code, I, I've always been kind of strangely fascinated with it. So fascinated mm -hmm. that it's part of Fascinating Nouns intro. I have Morse code both in the beginning and at the end. If you didn't know that, you can go back and figure out what the heck it is that I'm saying. Uh, so I've always loved this. And, you know, Morse code is kind of a cool and, and interesting story. And this is a precursor for a future episode. Uh, you'll go back and find out. Pause at this point. See what, I, what the heck I'm talking about. But Morse code was invented because Samuel Morse received by horse messenger, a.k.a. the Pony Express, that his wife was ill. Mm -hmm. By the time the message took so long to get to him that by the time he got home, not only had his wife died, but she'd already been buried. And so he said, well, there's got to there's got to be a better way, man. And then he came up with Morse code uh, as a way in the telegraph. Um, so this is really interesting stuff. I don't know where you guys are. I, you know, we love low tech. Uh, Denon, I feel like you're the type of guy who probably knows how to read Morse code. And it is Morse, M-O-R-S-E, and not Morris code <laughs> like the cat from the commercials. Yeah. Well, I used to, Dad. My memory's not what it once was. As a kid, I loved Morse code, and I and I learned the whole thing. I love codes and ciphers in general. What mm -hmm. I absolutely love about it, going back to our digital computer you and I are building out of pulleys and levers, yep. right. um, is it, it really is a digital code because it's dots and dashes, which are ones and zeros. You've got two choices, short, right. long, dot, dash. It's, it's the, you know, quintessential digital code, which really is, you know, if you think about it, people are like, oh, you know, that's so low tech. Now we send words over the wire. No, we convert them to ones and zeros and send them right. over the wire. We just right. do it better, right? Like, or more <laughs> compacted. Um, yeah. if, if I can say, I, I was very fascinated in the show. I want to talk about the triangles and the communication, okay. but mm -hmm. let's stick with Morse code for a moment, which is binary, but there's something in the triangles I found interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, well, I, I like the I do like the binary part of it. So let, let's stick, but let's come back to the triangles because I think those are interesting. Well, well, I I would actually argue that in a way Morse code is actually trinary, not binary, hmm. because you have dot dash and pause. And so true, or, and true. Actually, you do you have, have the pause, short and long pauses also. So if anything, it's it's quaternary. So speak of speaking of the triangles, you know, we're already in a way <laughs> looking at uh, more than just the two. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. And everything is a fundamental part. So when you're listening to Morse code, everything is based on the dot. And mm -hmm. the dot is so like a dash is two is three dots, I believe, uh, and a space is one dot. So everything is still based on the the distance of that you know the sound of that one you mm -hmm. know that, that one dit the dit and donk or whatever it is. No, it's the the dit and hold on, I have this. Uh, I don't have it. So, the, but the sounds that they made, it used to be plugged into a piece of paper. You know, going back right. to your technology from the Hunger Games, Dennett. Um, but then the operators got so good at listening to the sounds, they were able to just do it by, by listening to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is kind of cool. And one other thing here before we get into the triangles, SOS 
is dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. Now, that was just supposed to be repeated, just S-O-S-O-S-O, not S-O-S as one block, right? And that was because it was really easy to remember. It then that became the international sim, uh, sound for distress. It then turned into save our ship. I thought it was the other way around. I thought save our ship is what people were sending as the SOS. But it was the, the reverse way. But that's how you, you still today people can use that as a distress signal. Mm-hmm. No, it's amazing. And I love that. And it's probably something I would have used in the Hunger Games episode, Dan, um, mm-hmm. as I was doing my long range communication in a subtle way so I couldn't get found and tracked back to me. And I right. know Ben would have been able to send the classic SOS smoke signals because as we've learned, <laughs> he knows how to build a fire either right. for warmth or smoke signals. Yeah, the proper smoke signal fire. Uh, and it's important because you can still use you can still use Morse code with flashlights, with blinking of your eyes, with anything that you can really distinguish up uh, on or off, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. a digital code. So let's convert this. I want to hear what you have to say, Dan. So the triangles, uh, when we see later on, we do see some of the code coming through the teletype or the telegraph. Is that what it is? Yeah, the telegraph uh, on the piece of paper. There are triangles and different symbols, kind of like the Konami code, uh, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. So what did you like about that? Well, there's a couple things I found fun. First, with at least... I mean, I wasn't paying close attention to the messages being sent, but my sense was, and you and you as the analytical mastermind will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, mm-hmm. At first, I thought they were just using it kind of in a very strict Morse code, two options, short and long, up and down system. And then later mm-hmm. on, I felt like they were suddenly using up, down, left, right. Um, and Ben, right. you already pointed out that, you know, even in Morse code, in a sense, there's, you know, four or, or I will say base four or quaternary. And yeah. so it mm-hmm. made me realize, you know, most children hate the fact that they have to learn different bases in math, right? They don't like base 10 is hard enough. And then you make them do base two and base eight and base 16 right. and all these other <laughs> weird things. I didn't but like it. Nobody likes it. But this show mm-hmm. just proves once again, mm-hmm. um, there is some math that's useless that you learn, but base, right. not useless. If you're going to, if you're going to survive in the world of espionage, um, no. And, you know, careful coding, you have to be able to recognize when you're you're talking, you know, a different base because a 10 could be a two or a four or an eight for all you know. And that gets really confusing. <laughs> I'm already confused. You've, exactly. you've shattered. You've blown my brain. See, and that's uh, and, the uh, other way I'm going to win Hunger Games, Dan. I hate to keep making references back <laughs> to our previous episode, but yeah. all this stuff is just coming out. My secret abilities. Yeah, well, you know, you're blowing my brain here. You're blowing my mind. And this is the point in the episode where I got to do something I don't really want to do. And that's spoil the end of this episode. So if you're watching, put us on pause, watch the whole season and come back. I'll give you a second to do that. All right. So those still with us have either watched the end of 1899 or don't care if it's spoiled, uh, which I couldn't believe that you're in the same camp, uh, that the second camp, only you, Denon, the only person I know who <laughs> enjoys having things spoiled. Uh, but let's talk about this. So we find out that they're actually all living in a simulation uh, and that everything that we see, everything we've talked about is really just a symbol, a metaphor or code. It's just code in, in a computer. And I want to point people uh, to to my Fascinating Nouns episode with Tom Campbell about living in a simulation. And is it possible that we are actually living in a simulation, which would make people in a simulation living in a world that's also in a simulation. But we're not going to talk about that because I can't handle that. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about this, you know, living in a simulation, being able to connect everyone's brains together so that they're all having basically a shared experience 
This is the tough part. And as our brain expert, Ben, um, mm-hmm. you know, how, how are you wiring us all together to experience the same thing? Yeah, you know, it's obviously a complicated process because, you know, the really? consciousness is, is yeah, no, it's really easy. <laughs> you actually. don't say. Uh, <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, the reality is the consci- consciousness is something we barely understand. And but I, I like what they what we see, you know, everybody's got these cool helmets that, you know, are doing their doing their simulation. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the reality is, you know, you can reading what's going on in a brain is not a solved problem, but it's, it's certainly an understandable problem. Like you can imagine that we can use various either magnetic or electrical or other techniques to, um, read the current state of a brain, uh, Mm -hmm. whether it's invasively or (laughs) non-invasively. And from that, it's easy to put people in a simulation, have them and have that simulation act in the way they would act because their brain is controlling their avatar, whatever the trick becomes, how do you give them the feedback back? And is that, Mm -hmm. do we do it by with cool projectors where, you know, maybe their eyes were actually, you know, are open and, you know, you're just projecting the thing in and they, there were earbuds and maybe you have like some haptic suits or something, Mm -hmm. or, do you do you bypass that all and then inject the data back into their brain? And that that's where things get really tricky because our it's it would be very it's 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 very tough to get something in between your eyes and your brain without like you know making you blind after the fact. Uh, <laughs> and all so right. tricky you business. Know, I, it's certainly plausible that you could just hook up a brain in a jar and have it be a computer essentially, but that's what you'd essentially have to do. And then you're, Uh you're just a brain in a jar at that point. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, there's a lot going on there for sure. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to not think of myself as a brain in a jar because then my skull would be the jar. And then I've got a whole, I got to change my whole way of thinking, my whole perspective, my <laughs> paradigm shift, uh, Ben, is what you've done there. Uh, but it's interesting to think about people having a shared experience. You know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. also conversations about people having shared dreams and there's no connection mm-hmm. at all. You know, is that coincidence? Is there some other thing around us that we're able to tap into some kind of energy where we can mm-hmm. share dreams? I don't know. Is that possible to do that for, you know, a simulation? I don't know. These are all really interesting questions, but what you find out is that in a lot of ways, once you realize this is a simulation, their world kind of becomes an interactive video game, for mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, right? I mean, there's there's warp rooms, yeah. there's secret rooms. Um, you know, the bugs become actual bugs in code that open doors. You know, I mean, I, I, video games in some ways are also like a time loop where you know Mario is trying to save the princess. Whether you you know, and every time he's just going through that same loop, and sometimes he gets <laughs> her, sometimes he gets killed by a Koopa. You know, and really, it's that same principle I think here. Would you say so, Denon? Oh, definitely the same principle. And you know, the I want to go back to something you said a little earlier that's related to this principle, right? Like video game simulation, you know, anytime there's a movie or a TV show or a book about being in a video game or a simulation, one of the keys is figuring out whether you're in it or not. Right. And you alluded to that, Dan, like we could be in one and you know how, you know, you're not in one now is you can get a mug and you can get a mug. That's a fascinating gadgets, gizmos, (laughs) gear-based technology mug. Now, Mm -hmm. some people might think that the real way to tell if you're in a simulation is the inception movie, you know, 
top mm-hmm. thing, right? Like, again, yep, a spoiler there, but that's so old, I don't mind spoiling that movie. And, I, and I how think, dare you? No spoilers well, on my show, Den I We Zero already Collins. solved that movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right. <laughs> yeah. You know, solved. See the episode. Check it out. I'm advertising the episode and the mug. But, you know, okay. it, it is not the top. It is the yep. mug. Because the yep. only place you can get a mug this cool is reality. Like, Absolutely. no simulation could actually duplicate the experience of this mug. So I'm just saying, Dan, I know you were worried you're in a simulation or a simulation of simulation, but now know you're in reality. Thank you for for that, Den, and that makes me feel, that's a weight off my shoulders for sure. Well, I mean, Den, now I'm worried, can you get a water bottle in a simulation? Like, is, Hmm. is only the mug, I mean, I hope the water bottle is also good enough proof that you're in reality and not a simulation. I think that's just added proof, Ben. I mean, to me, it seems like it would be. So I I think you you need both the mug and the water bottle to uh, get you uh, kicked into the real world. (laughs) Well, I would say if you're having trouble being tethered to reality, anything on the FGGBT.com backslash merch site will anchor you uh, in a system that you know is going to be true and, and, and accurate and that you'll always know that you are living in the true reality. So I would I would suggest doing that. But if you don't have that ability, I think what you can do, which we see in this show, is actively change the code. You know, and that's what you alluded to earlier, Den. And what are those computers yeah. for? The interface. Well, you know, one of the characters is actually type going into the simulation using lines of code which have a representation as a computer in the simulation and he's changing what things are what they do uh that is very powerful that's a very powerful thing to be able to do uh in in any simulation i think oh i think so and and this is where really it's so sad that they only had one season dan because Mm -hmm. i have a fundamental question about you know the three or four characters that are changing code in this um there's not a lot of them um Mm -hmm. there's a few key ones and are they um, elements of the code? You know, so we think of things like, you know, computer viruses change code. Um, basic machine learning is about a code updating itself based on things around it. But those are programmed to change code and they're programmed to change code in a particular way. Um, particularly like the husband, uh, I forget his name, uh, Henry maybe, did I get that right? Um, uh, or Daniel. Sh- Daniel. Yeah. Daniel, see, I knew I'd get it if you gave me three chances. Uh, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> so, so you know, he is actually clearly acting as an independent agent. And to me, that says there's more even going on than is revealed in season one, that he must be somewhere outside. And mm. what we're seeing is his avatar inside changing code, representing his changing code from outside. Because I'm not sure how you as an independent agent change code from the inside. But, you know, I'm just a physicist. Um, I have a limited knowledge of coding, though I do it. I suspect our enigmatic engineer mm. might be able to um, shed some light on mm. this coding problem. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that it all depends on how the how the simulation's just written in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing to say that you couldn't allow your, your simulated, your, your simulated, the people who are in the simulation, there we go. There's yeah. no reason that the people in the simulation couldn't have access to the code. I mean, it seems like a bad idea. You probably shouldn't be changing your code while people are plugged in and p- potentially you could like fry their brains or something like that. Right. But but there's nothing inherently that says you couldn't do that or you, that you couldn't have walled off configs or something that could be controlled by the 
avatars that but like the main base executing code that like makes it not fry your brain that part is protected so well, not, so ben quick question here so what you're saying i just realized something i i had a mental picture in my head mm -hmm. so because your brain is connected mm -hmm. to the interface you could set it up so certain brain signals change the code yeah i mean well i mean basically whatever you think does something right and if, and if you know that if i think you know oh a flamingo should pop up here and that's like a code that's a code change why not right so <laughs> so that means we have evidence that these people who are changing the code are alive somewhere because they're they're a person hooked to the simulation not a simulation of the person yeah or they're either they're either a simulation or like upload perhaps maybe there's somebody working in tech support uh who has you know super user access and can you know, have flamingos pop up if they want to. <laughs> well, I mean, we see in, in the Matrix as well, you know, there's a, a, vi a virus is a computer code that can mm -hmm. also change computer code. Yeah, so exactly. you could have, you know, Daniel be a, a program that's written into the code that we see as an actual person or avatar who can then change things um, either by Very input so. from Mora or by his own realization that, hey, this code isn't right. I need to fix it. You could have that mm -hmm. kind of advanced technology, right? Exactly. And but then it, again, it, it I think those, at least with our current sort of setup, would have limited options in what they could change. Mm -hmm. um, but but definitely, definitely they could be doing yeah. things within their specs, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it really just comes down to how bold was the creator of the simulation and mm -hmm. what they allowed the people in the simulation to do, because you could make it very, very free and unrestricted, or you could make it very restricted and locked down. It's really just an engineering question. Well, and I think the creator has all the power. Uh, and, and as you know, there's, there's a lot going on that he can do that's unexplained. And I think we should talk about those right now in our errors, additions and omissions section, things we wanted to talk about, about this show that we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about 1899 that we didn't quite get to that you wanted to mention? Well, I love the question, the spoiler, the spoiler, since I, I'm, I'm probably going to get hired to write season two now. Um, I'll so. reveal my plan of where I'm going. Um, <laughs> you know, my sense, uh, there's lots of ways you can do it. I, what I love about it is you know that it's a simulation from some level. You think it's the father running it. You find out he's trapped in it. You find out he's not actually controlling it because they're all trapped in it. Right. And then you've got, you know, the, the puzzle to wake up. Um, I, I can only imagine that this is now intended to be another simulation. Um, I, I know we think she's awake, um, but if you're going to have multiple seasons, you have to do the really bad TV thing of just do the season again. So you had season one where they're trapped in a simulation and they have to get out. So mm -hmm. season two clearly has to be trapped in a different simulation and get out. Um, mm -hmm. Or, or otherwise, it won't follow the typical bad TV model. Um, so that's where I'm going with that. Or you could completely change the show and make it more Star Wars-like and have a space battle. That's <laughs> probably what I would write, um, yeah. <laughs> even though I'm expecting that they're still in a simulation. I'm really writing the space battle. The Cylons are about to attack um, this ship, and that's mm -hmm. one of the key problems that Mara will face in Season 2 is how to survive the Cylons. It's an interesting point. I mean, I I really this is one of the few shows where I couldn't wait for season two, and now I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to wait forever, uh, yep. literally forever. Feels like I'm in a simulation. What about you, Ben? Is there anything that we didn't mention that you want to talk about? Well, I think the thing for me is you mentioned the the Beatles 
you know, the bugs were actual bugs, you know, unlocking doors. Were, I did not realize at all what the bugs were for. I just thought it was some creepy thing <laughs> that the kid had, or maybe that's how they were spreading the craziness around or something. Uh, you know, and like there's the whole pyramid thing, like were they like supposed to be scarabs, but clearly they were like fig eater beetles or June bugs, you know, which I see all around LA. Uh, you know, Holy cow. I was just like, what is going on with these bugs? But they're very pretty. I love, I love that bug. Oh, they're great. Yeah, when they are in L- flying around LA, they're so clumsy and goofy. Yeah. Uh, but I love them. They're, they're they're so much fun to watch. Just kind of you know, I don't even know how they fly because they look like it's like putting a, an eight hundred pound man in the air with little <laughs> wings. You know, I don't quite know how they do it. But that's for another episode. Uh, but for my errors, additions, and omissions, I love the fact that in this episode we see someone with a cigarette holder, uh, a la the Penguin. I haven't seen one of those mm. in a TV show in a long time. That was really cool. Uh, we see an Acme quasi-portable hole. We almost see the interior of an Acme portable hole here, guys, because we see where you go in and where you come out, uh, but you also get to see the path that you take. So where p- portable holes were kind of a mystery. Uh, the, they worked on the inside. Now we can kind of see that. And I mentioned the five different languages that are represented, uh, which which is really cool. But, at, you know, we talked about being a creator, being a dictator. Well, I am the dictator here. Uh, and so because of that, whatever you send to our social media, which you can find at Twitter, at Pod, Facebook, at FGGBT, I will decide whether we talk about it on the show. Because uh, you can also send something at questions at FGGBT.com. Make it good, make it great, and you can end up on our show, of course, at my decision. But if you want to say something to everyone else, talk it to each uh, each one of us individually, you can do that as well. Denon, where can people find you? Well, they can find me, Twitter, Instagram. Just flip my name, at Denon Michael. Um, you can also, if you're into the LinkedIn site, you can do that. I hear LinkedIn's coming back. It's making a comeback. Um, <laughs> if you're old school, I'm on Facebook. Um, put a prof in front of there, at Prof Denon Michael. Um, and that's pretty much where you find me, Dan. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. Now, does that include Mastodon and LinkedIn as well? Uh, LinkedIn, but not Mastodon. <laughs> oh, behind the times. You can find me on Mastodon, but I have to get that later on because I don't quite have that handy. Uh, but the normal stuff we talk about Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Now, it's your duty to take what we say and do good with it. Remember, no matter the situation, you always want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there. 
fgggbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.